For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I'm here to say humbug to the Federal Liberal Administration's new climate plan here in Canada. For starters, before last year's election, then-Environment Minister Catherine McKenna said, quote, the price will not go up. The plan is not to increase the price post-2022, end quote, beyond the $50 per tonne of carbon that it would reach that year. Instead, we now hear that it's going up $15 per tonne per year until it reaches $170 a tonne in 2030, which would be 37.6 cents per litre of gasoline. Now, possibly their promise doesn't really count as a lie, since everybody knew they were lying, and they knew we knew, and we knew they knew we knew. For years, they've said nothing matters more than man-made climate change, except possibly their re-election. So what did anyone think they'd do? Some major Canadian energy companies appear to feel that the crocodile will eat them last if they admit that their product is destroying the planet and then say they'll try and do it a bit less. But that plan can't work, because the activists and politicians really think that if we don't get to net zero by 2050, the planet will burn up. Crackle, crackle. And of course, the politicians need to get re-elected or they can't save the planet, which is why the new carbon tax, like the old one, will be rebated back to us so we can all afford to buy just as much of the new, more expensive gas as we could of the old, cheaper kind. And in response, the opposition parties gave off the usual angry roar. But they had nothing of a more useful sort to offer, because those on the left want drastic action that really would hurt voters, while those on the right, which includes some provincial premiers, say, oh yeah, we're totally on board with the goal, but we'd just do it some other way that we can't tell you about right now. Oh, and then, of course, in the province of Quebec, they've got a cap-and-trade program, which means they're exempt from the federal carbon tax, even though the provincial price per tonne is so low it's laughable. Maybe $17 a tonne now and might get to 23 by 2022. So in short, everybody's doing exactly what you'd expect, and we don't mean that in a good way. If you want more of this kind of thing without having to look at my face, click here and sign up for the newsletter. Meanwhile, what's the climate crisis doing? Well, it's becoming serious, apparently. We're told by people who, at this point, would look darn silly saying anything else, that 2020 is the hottest year on record, or so close as makes no difference. For instance, Canada's capital is currently tied for the fourth highest number of days above zero centigrade in a year since records began in 1872. Gotcha? Notcha. Because the top 10 are, in descending order, 1953, 1998, 1990, 2020 and 2012, 2006, 1973, 1913, 2016, and 1889. So the last decade has seen three of the top ten, by this measure at least. But the top three were all more than 20 years ago, and some on the list are more than a century old. Also, records were kept at the Central Experimental Farm till 1938, then moved to the airport, which potentially skews the result because airports are notorious urban heat islands. But the big point is, there's no apparent pattern here, as there would be if warming were an accelerating crisis. And even if there were an apparent pattern, it actually wouldn't prove much of anything, because it would also have been true in, say, 1940, that many of the hottest years on record were in the last 20, and that certainly doesn't prove there was an urgent man-made warming crisis at the start of World War II. Instead, we now know it got colder for 30 years. And finally, you know, Ottawa's just one place. But if we're not having our hottest years ever, one after another, and many other places aren't, from Australia to the American Midwest and beyond, then where is? You know, just as everywhere can't be warming faster than average, everywhere also can't already be warmer than average, nor can it be cooler. But it's almost as though climate alarmism has this real world somewhere inside a computer where temperatures are rising relentlessly, and then the actual temperatures in actual places where actual people live are some kind of rustic sideshow. 
Hence, we hear that, among other things, climate change is destroying the Great Lakes, according to National Geographic, which ran not one, but two articles on this horrifying development. Their environment executive editor, Robert Kunzig, actually said he was nostalgic for, quote, the good old days of burning rivers, end quote, because climate change, quote, is warming the lakes, diminishing their ice cover, and decimating the tiny plankton at the base of the food web. More than 180 invasive species, like zebra mussels and sea lampreys, have disrupted the food web from top to bottom. We didn't even know zebra mussels came from a tailpipe. But as usual with climate change, it gets worse, because the other National Geographic piece says the lakes are the lungs of the world, thanks to all the fresh water with all the diatoms in it, but the diatoms are shrinking due to climate change. And, moreover, quote, with our ongoing emission of greenhouse gases, we've even managed to re-engineer the weather over vast stretches of the Great Lakes watershed, increasing the frequency of severe storms, end quote. And though National Geographic surprised us on this point, turns out the Great Lakes only really date back about 3,000 years. They're newer than some of the pyramids. But now, the world can't get by without them, and neither can humans because, Kunzig tells us, quote, These days, old industrial cities like Duluth or Buffalo are mentioned as places that might be reborn as havens for climate change refugees from places like Alabama, where I live now, end quote. Mentioned? Mentioned by who? Was that National Geographic or X-1? Perhaps the distinction between science and science fiction no longer applies to climate alarmism, though. Hot off the tundra, the New York Times Climate Forward newsletter breathlessly hypes new reports saying it's all boring to say the Arctic is changing, but now, gotcha, it's being transformed. Quote, it is well on its way to becoming a place defined more by open ocean and rain and less by sea ice and snow, end quote. Oh, you mean like the last time it was warm there? The Arctic has actually seen cyclical periods of more sea ice and less throughout the Holocene and even the 20th century. But never mind. It is, like so many places, quote, a region that's warming faster than any other on the planet, end quote, and transforming to a, quote, fundamentally different climate, end quote, like the one it's had many times before. Of course, any such change is bad because all effects of climate change are bad. So what about that massive greening of the planet in the last 40 years because plants like CO2, you know, the one that's helped feed so many people in the third world? Well, don't not worry, a new study says, because it's all coming to an end. Plant can only eat so much carbon dioxide, they're now stuffed, and so of course, doom looms. Just as it did in the past, when there was more CO2 and Earth was lush and verdant rather than a wasteland of deserts and bogs. As always, there's lots more in the newsletter, from Venice forgetting to turn on its multi-billion euro anti-high tide machine when a high tide came at them. And yet we think we can re-engineer the entire climate. To what scientists really say about, for instance, how well the models predict temperature increases when CO2 goes up. And there's more from our friends at CO2Science.org on whether drought is increasing in Somalia, not really, and whether heat is killing more people in Spain or is likely to, again, not really. So, if you want to know what scientists really say, subscribe to our Wednesday Wake Up newsletter on our YouTube channel, and if you haven't already, support our work. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and that's no humbug.